As I have grown older, I've become much more of a planner. Earlier in my life, I didn't plan many things because I didn't have many things to plan. Um, my parents kind of took care of that when I was a kid. It was like, well, I had to go to school, and then they put me in an aftercare thing and those kinds of things. I didn't really pick my summer camps and those kinds of things. I didn't have to plan meals when I was eight years old, thankfully. It would not be healthy food um, for the family. But as I grew older, I kind of tried not to plan things. Um, that was one of my goals. And so I went to college, and I knew I had to go to class. But after that, I didn't want to do anything because doing things cost money. And if I had to spend money, that meant I had to get a job. And if I had to get a job, then I had to tell my mom that she was right. And I didn't want to do that. So I didn't do things. And then when I went to seminary, I, um, I just read when I wasn't um, in school. And then I, I moved to Denver. And when I wasn't working there, I just went hiking. And I, just, I didn't need to plan. I would just do spur of the moment. I had no responsibilities. And then I got, fell in love and got married. And then we had kids and got a more serious job. And it's like, oh man, there's a lot of things going on. It'd be nice if I could just like write them down um, and expect more out of it. As well as I entered ministry, realizing that ministry, there's a lot of things going on in being a pastor. Um, and one of those aspects that one of the things in ministry is that like I could spend 50 hours a week working just on my sermon. Um, I have to be the one to tell me to stop. Uh, my bishop doesn't say, now Wilson, only spend this much time. No, um, he would probably want me to spend more usually. Um, but, or I could spend all of my time during my week like visiting with people. I could spend all the time during the week, like ordering things around and structuring things or looking at budgets or looking at fundraising things. Like I have to self-regulate in that kind of way. And it was tricky for me going from periods of life of not doing any of it. And then with parenting, there's a lot of planning you have to do. It's like this week, we've got to pick summer camps or else there'll be no summer camps for our kids. And then I'll just have my kids chasing me all summer long <laughs> behind me. And then I won't get a lot done. Um, that's great. I love my children. But, but they, they, it's like structure is good and planning is important as I've learned to get. I've, I've changed planning strategies over time as well. At one point, I had a thing called a productivity planner of different kinds of lists, starting with a piece of paper and then the productivity planner and like bullet planning and all these different kinds of things. Now I use a, a field notes notebook um, that's small and is not on my phone, which means I can't look, I'm not looking at my phone if I'm looking at this, which is really good for productivity. But, but planning is important. We all plan for things, no matter where we are in life, we plan for the future. One of the aspects of revelation that has drawn people to it is that there's this there seems to be a good plan here of what our future is going to be. Now, I think there's images of the future with God, but it's not the same kind of plan you can write on your calendar or write in your notebook. Our future with God is like a city descending, like a new heaven and a new earth. If God is making all things new, then the plans we have now are not going to be a part of that new thing. My friends, as I said, this is a conclusion of our series on the book of Revelation, trying to focus on how Revelation is not a scary book. It's not a book about just like dragons and fire and earthquakes and, and people on horses who are scary. Um, it is about God's love, but ultimately about our identity. Who are you? What is the source of your identity? Is your identity found in what you do and where you are from and what your name is and what your name means to you? Through this series, we've looked at different aspects of, of the liturgy in, in the book of Revelation. We've looked at this aspect of, of our communion liturgy in the Methodist Church, of what's called the Holy, Holy, Holy. In, in the Latin Mass, it's the Sanctus. Um, 
but as well as the, the aspect of the liturgy called the, the Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And today we're, we're looking at the congregational Amen, which as I said as a child was my favorite part of a prayer. Amen. It's the shortest one, but it's a necessary one. There can't be communion, there can't be church without anybody saying Amen. It doesn't seem like much. It's the, the, actual, the original meaning of the word is disputed by scholars. Um, I think the best way to understand it has to do with, uh, with, it means truly or let it be so. Like, let it be so. The, the word amen takes place 30 times in the Old Testament, beginning in the book of Deuteronomy. It doesn't take place before Deuteronomy. But it's used a lot in Deuteronomy. It's especially used in the Psalms. It's a way of affirmation. But it does happen a lot in the book of Revelation. Especially, I don't read it, in the end of chapter 22, the last word of the Bible is an amen of God. It's the amen of God to us. Usually we say amen to God. We say amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We say amen at the end of other prayers. But in Revelation, God is saying amen to us. And then everybody says amen. Amen is an assent to what is happening. It is confirmation about what has already happened. And the new creation described here, this is what the word new creation of God making all things new is an amen from God. And we participate in when we say amen during prayers and during communion. The new heavens and the new earth descending represent God's faithfulness to creation. When the pastor says, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and when we say amen, when, when we recite together the Lord's Prayer, for that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, and never, and we say, Amen. That is an ascent. We are affirming God's faithfulness to us. Because the God who is the Alpha is also the Omega. There is a continuity between creation and redemption. There's not this giant rift that we often feel. As well, our starting point for the, the end of all things, the end of God, the end of Revelation, should be in the justice of God. That God is just. God is just and God is, is righteous. In our last pub theology, which um, was a, a week ago, that we, one of the questions was, what is justice? <laughs> which, you know, you can think of, you don't have to answer. This is not, um, this is a rhetorical question. Um, but then if you think of, if you're asked, like, what is justice? You may have a few things that come to your mind. And then if you're asked, what is righteousness? It's probably a few different things come to your mind. But in the Bible, it's the same word. In, in Greek, it's the same word. Um, dikaiosunai. Um, justice and, and righteousness are the same word. It's an it's a architectural term, an engineering term for a house being square. So in Greek, it would be like, if a house is, is square, it's righteous, or it's just, and it'll stand. If it's not square, it is not righteous. It's not going to be able to stand for very long. The God who is just is our starting point. Not the God who is vengeful, not a, a petty, arbitrary God. The God who is just is the God who is love. The final word of amen is a word from the mouth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offering who became human and died for us to reconcile all of this world to God the Father who created us and to show us the meaning of, of, and depth of love. One of the easy ways of misunderstanding the book of Revelation is to find a disconnect here between it and the rest of the Bible. And I've come across that a few times in my ministry of people who are comfortable reading the Bible up until the book of Revelation. 
And then it gets kind of, it gets kind of weird in PP4. Um, or people who are like really excited about the Revelation and not really excited about the Gospels as much. But what is, what is important to remember in present here is that our final destiny, our final destiny revealed by God is not just in our future. That's why we, we receive what is revealed. Again, the, the word revelation means to reveal something. It is something behind the curtain. Apocalypse means to reveal something. The, the word apocalypse doesn't mean like earthquakes and things like that. It means something is revealed. It's peekaboo. It's like heavenly peekaboo. But you see, it's like, ooh, what's, who's behind the screen? And God is showing us the, the cosmic reality. And in the end is the important part. The, the end, the alpha who created everything is the one who will be our omega. And our final destiny is not just in the future, it is present here. That is the point when, when Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's trying to say that the kingdom of heaven can be here. And kingdom of heaven is not just some churchy word. It is about a community where people actually love each other. Which is hard. It can get dirty. It's easier to not love. It's easier to pretend. It's easier to put on the kind of the garments of love. And then when something happens, to just walk away and find, find another place. With grace, we're trying to do that. We believe it is possible with grace. Not because we're just such swell guys and we can get along with everybody. The Bible doesn't say you must be an extroverted, forgiving person or else you're not going to heaven. Um, that, that sometimes seems like, oh gosh, if I was like that person, it'd be easier to get along with all of these. No, it's like it's really hard to get along with a lot of people. A lot of people, I just confess, can be kind of annoying. Um, can say things that you're like, I, I wouldn't say that. And it can be hard to respond. And the point of church, the point of the kingdom of heaven, is not that everybody is suddenly going to stop saying silly things. Um, but that God is with us. And our faith in God is greater than our desire to avoid annoying people. And that's like, that is a step of faith. Um, it's, it is a deep, deep step of faith. And that is why the community of the kingdom of heaven takes a step of faith. Why it's a lot easier to walk away from a hard conversation than to stay inside of it. A community where people care about each other, not because of their past, not because of who they are or where they live, and not because they could they be objects for career advancement. I've, I've heard a lot of stories about people moving, um, this is growing up especially, but especially in like the 50s and 60s, you move to a new town, and the first thing you do is you, you join a church because that's where all the connections are. And church being this place of connection as opposed to this place where Jesus Christ is proclaimed, crucified, and resurrected. Like that's not, the church is great to connect with people, but that's not the point that we're gathered together. There's a place where we can talk about challenging things, where we can dig a little deeper than the surface. than just talking about the weather or UT football, because I don't really want to talk about UT football, but if that's what, if they're doing well, I, I do, but. <laughs> where we can we can go a little deeper, where we can rejoice with those who are rejoicing, where we can mourn and grieve with those who are grieving. Because our final identity is not in what we make or do, but in who we are. And we live in a world where most people can't see that, where they think they have to be a certain kind of way, a certain kind of person to succeed, where they have to prove themselves to their parents, they have to prove themselves to their friends. They have to prove themselves to their neighbors, whether or not their neighbors are Joneses or not. They have to continue to prove 
themselves. And so often they feel like they're found wanting. So many people feel like they're not good enough. Like they're not smart enough, and gosh darn it, people don't like them. And it is hard. It is hard in this world. And it's true all over the world. There's no place where it's, people have it figured out. I think what, what is revealed in Scripture is that people either like, see the brokenness of the world or are lying to themselves. And, like These are the choices that we make. And that doesn't mean that understanding that there is heartache and pain in this world doesn't mean that we should just be sad about it. But our hope is not in that. God gives us the faith to look honestly at the reality, at the hard things, and say that, that at the end of the day is the amen of God saying yes to us and yes to life. And our faith is more in the amen of God than in however we're going to manage any given situation. The Great Commission of Jesus Christ is not, therefore, go therefore and sign up a bunch of people on the membership list of the church, and then you're done. Um, it seems like you know, my bishop would like that, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, go and sign up people and then let them go on and do whatever they want, but make disciples. Go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. The word disciple sometimes harkens back to, if you were, you know, if you were a veteran or thinking about going to like boot camp and getting discipline, um, but, but it means student. Discipulus means student. And to be a student at anything means you have to admit you don't know what you're doing. And that is hard. Um, that is hard in a lot of ways. You're not going to learn anything if you don't admit you need to learn something. One of the hardest things about, about as well, about learning anything, especially if, like, for me, it's like learning a language. The hardest thing about learning a language is getting to the point where I know I'm going to make a fool of myself and willing to do it. Having trying to talk to, to my wife, Alina, in Hungarian and knowing I'm going to mess up again. But if I don't get past that, I'm not going to actually learn. If I'm not willing to step out and believe in a greater end, I'm not going to learn anything. I'm just going to be contained where I am. People have to be willing to change, to receive mercy, to grow in love. To grow in love means that you have to admit that you still have growth to do in your life. And you still have a purpose in this world. And this is worth talking about. This is the whole point as well of, of Scripture, as God shows us our purpose. What is our purpose in this world? What is your purpose in this world? What is your destiny? Scripture shows us in, in Revelation the most last thing, the, the lastest last thing, the final thing. And it is, it is revealed as something that is surprising. It is a feast where the food never gets old. It is a party where you dance and your hip never starts to hurt. And, and there's never any of those, none of the people that you thought were annoying, remember those people I was talking about? They're not there or they're not annoying anymore. It's amazing. Um, and you never get tired at all. There is no crying or weeping or gnashing of teeth. There's no worrying about tomorrow. You don't have to plan about tomorrow because you are present with the God who is the Alpha and the Omega. There is life with each other and life with our Lord. Life at its most and best. But our future with God is not just the present age continued ad infinitum. And sometimes we can kind of fall into this, this fallacy and this trap. There was a, uh, a, a philosopher named Bernard Williams who wrote this great article called The Tedium of Immortality. And it's about, it's about um, philosophy. It's a secular argument, but I think it, it's helpful because it frames a lot of ways that many of us are taught about what life with God will be. And he basically, the, the gist of the argument is that um, it, is, it would be miserable. For example, if you had to eat the same thing for every meal for the rest of your life, it's, it's one thing, but for the rest of eternity, you're going to get sick of it. 
even if it's something that you really like. Even if it's like cherry pie. Like, if you can have cherry pie um, for eternity, and it never makes fat, um, and, but eventually you are going to get sick of it. And then you switch to another thing, and then you'll get sick of that. If you love to fish, and you fished every day for six million years, you might get sick of fishing. That might be something that happens. There are a lot of people I love, it's the same thing with people. There are a lot of people I love, and a lot of people I love, it's great for them to come visit for a few days. But if it's like in, you know, in the, in the songs about like oh, the mansions in, in the Gospel of John, that there's a mansion, a dwelling place where all were living, and I have to live next to all my relatives eternally. Um, I don't get to change roommates. That might be hard. Having a guest in your home for six weeks is hard. For six million years could be tricky. But the, the crux of this argument is that our desires fade. No matter what the desires are. Our desires in this world fade. And they change to displeasure. And again, like it has to do with, with philosophical understandings and, and not with scripture. But sometimes we, you know, preachers and others present heaven and life with God as like, it's, it's just like right now, except we're in clouds. That's it. And you're not hurting. Um, but, but scripture is so much deeper and so much more. We are offered new creation. All that has been created has been redeemed, including our desires, including what we desire in this world. That's what, when Jesus says there will be no more mourning or weeping or gnashing of teeth or pain anymore, he is explaining how those emotions will no longer be present because they won't be possible. And when he says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, he is saying how our desires will be transformed because our desires will be totally fulfilled. We will have what we are looking for in the presence of God. Everything we plan for and hope for in this world is good in how it participates in God's goodness. Whether it be fishing, whether it be sewing, whether it be cooking, or playing basketball, or watching basketball, these moments of satisfaction are desirable because of the ways in which we participate in what God has done and what God is doing. Our eternal life with God cannot reduce into boredom because we will have access to the living water we always wanted anyway. It's like a child at their first birthday party. Have you ever seen before? A one-year-old, one-year-old at their birthday party. And, and they've, you know, started eating or something, and they're given cake for the first time in their life, a cupcake. And it's this great transformation where they take a little bit, they don't know what's going on, and they put it in their mouth, and there's just like, it's like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And then they try and eat, and they don't really know how to feed themselves, so they're just like slapping cake all over their face. Um, but this, this awareness and amazement that this is the greatest thing that could ever happen. This is a joy. I never want this joy to end. That excitement and joy of having what we do desire, the presence of God redeemed, eternally taking place. That is what God is offering us here. Cake grows old, even the best cake. People age and change, but God's love is forever. And amazingly, what we are shown here at the end of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, is possible here. It's not just a long time in the future or a short time in the future. God is present in a real way here. This is the impulse of mission. When God sends us out, when God asks us to make new disciples, life with God is not just a future reality, but a present one. 
And that is something worth sharing. That is something worth sharing with people in our life who are in need of new direction. Who have been told over and over again that they're not good enough. Who need a word of mercy and peace. New life means that you are not your mistakes. You are not your regrets. New life means you can change no matter who you are or where you have been. We say amen to the future that Christ offers us now. Lent is one of the ways that we say amen to God. Lent is, is a season in the church of preparing our hearts for Holy Week and for, for Easter. Lent is, comes from an Italian word that uh, means slow down. If you ever did music and saw the time signature lenta, it means slow. Lent is a time to slow down. It is a chance to look inward and see where you are with your life. Sometimes we don't want to do that. We want to fill and plan our life so much that we never have a chance to reflect because we're scared of what we will see when we look in the mirror. Lent is a chance to say, wait a minute, I can look at myself, I can look at where I am because I am loved by God before anything else. On Wednesday, we will, we will offer ashes. Ashes are a sign of humility. Say the words, from, from dust you are made and to dust you will return. Humbly realize that you are created by the God who created everything. You did not create your self. Many people practice Lenten fasts of some kind, and whatever that, that may be. And I, I encourage, I encourage that. Something that you can do to remind you of what season you are in and to remind you that, that you are already loved, that you cannot save yourself and you are in need of mercy. But let us say, whether this day or during Lent or whenever, let us say that with God, that we can say goodbye to, to habits of hurt and pain, to practices that pull us away from God, that pull us away from that final amen. And we can say yes to new life with God. Let us say goodbye to practices of selfishness and greed, attempts to, to, to guard our hearts from loving people in our life, and let us say yes to new life with God. Let us say goodbye to self-doubt and to shame. Let us say goodbye to avoiding the main thing or the real thing, and let us say yes to new life with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you offer us new life when we least deserve it. Help us not only to seek our future, but to seek a holy life now. Help us to turn our hearts towards our neighbors and towards your love so that we can experience your new creation now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.